0: Father, we bless you and we thank you that we are invited to your banqueting table. And we thank you that you delight to do that and you invite us again today. We pray that as we reflect on this, that your spirit will indeed encourage us and that we will be the first in line to say, yes, I want to be there now. So will you open our hearts to that word that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to stand here and talk to you with a glass of wine in my hand, but Dave wouldn't let me. So I sip water, but it turns into wine as I drink it. You don't sound impressed. I want to spend some time reflecting on the banquet, the meaning of the banquet. We've been listening and hearing and receiving words about this whole image of the banquet. And it's not about... uh, getting mixed up with Thanksgiving and getting the wrong week and now we've got to scramble for something. This is uh, very deliberate. And there's a visual aid that's very deliberate. And uh, Thinking about the significance of banquets and meals around Jesus and around God. Because there's something in them that certainly I have missed for years. And I think the Lord's just opened up a, a new understanding of what this is about. And And I hope you'll be thrilled as you maybe think about this again. Something very familiar, but maybe totally unfamiliar. When rep- uh, and you'll find, actually, <laughs> a lot of what I'm saying, I'm repeating again and again and again, like I spoke about this last week and the week before and the week before. It's just because it's quite important. And I'm not trying to teach many truths. I'm really trying to give, bear witness to what I believe the Lord's calling us into Now. A few weeks ago, um, I spoke about Mephibosheth, my favorite character in the Bible, the man who was crippled in both feet, and spoke about how he lived in that place that was barren, uh, many miles away, 50 miles or 60 miles away from where David was king and where he was a king and he had a big banqueting hall. And one day David had said, is there anyone to whom I can show some kindness that belongs to the family of Jonathan? Jonathan was his dear friend. He had grown up teenage buddies. And then Jonathan had been killed, and Jonathan was the son of the uh, first ruler of the the kingdom of Israel. And the the servant said, yes, there is somebody, and it was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was living in squalor in in this place miles away, and he was carried into the presence of the king David. And he was a man who had been dropped by a nurse because they had been terrified that when... Uh, his father and grandfather had been killed, David was going to wreak vengeance on the, on the family that had uh, hounded David for 14 years before he had been made king. And he came into the throne room of the king and the king said to him, well, he didn't say anything to him at first, he, brought, he, they were, he was carried in, he was crippled in both feet. We're told about five times that that was the case. And Mephibosheth hung his head and David said to him, Mephibosheth, And in the presence of the king, Mephibosheth just shook his head and said, Why do you call me here? What are you doing to a dead dog that is who I am? And that profound, profound response from David, who just said, "You You are the son of Jonathan. You are a royal heir. You are a prince. And from now on, I invite you to to eat at my banqueting table and live at my banqueting table. And my servants will look after you and my servants will take care of you and honour you. David was the prototype, the beginning or, or one of the pictures of Jesus. And Jesus came into this world to say the same thing to you and to me. And he said, Come to my banqueting table. And we go, no, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough to be a Christian, I'm not good enough. And he says, quite frankly, nonsense. It's got nothing to do with how good you are. It's got to do with how much I love you and how gracious I am and how I invite you now to come to my table. This is not a picture of when you're dead. This is evangelism. And we're going to think about that. You don't invite people to follow Jesus. You invite people to the banqueting table of the King of Kings. And everyone likes a good party. But many of us haven't seen one for a long, long, long time. Because surrounding many of the banqueting tables in our Gospels is judgment. Get your act together, then you can come. And Jesus said, you've got all the wrong way around. Bring the beggars and the drunkards in. Let them feast and they will be changed. The grand finale we read about in Revelation is the great big banqueting supper of the, of the Lamb of Lambs where they're all singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. Where the Bride of Christ, the Church, comes together in unity with God the Father and Eden is reestablished, and the battle is won. But what happens between now and then? That's what we're talking about. Because I don't know about you, I'm really, really tired of a Christian gospel that is pie in the sky when you die. And I will say that this, this, this Jesus ministry course we're doing is about this, it's about this. What happens when an invading army captures some territory? One of the things it usually does, and we think of one of the, what's the most famous battle for Canadians. Anybody home? Vimy Ridge. Vimy Ridge. I just read up about that actually the other day. Remarkable, remarkable battle. But at the end of the day, when you've, when you've captured some area from the, from the enemy, you put a flag up there. You say, this is ours now. We proclaim it and we defend it. Well, Jesus came into the world, I've talked about this world being a prison camp at nauseum, to re-establish his kingdom on earth, person by person, step by step. And you and I are invited into that. The greatest victory Satan has created in this world right now is to create churches that are like these big cruises, cruise ships, and we just wander around being entertained. Oh, have you been on this cruise? Well, I joined that church for a little while and I joined that one. We, we, we went around sightseeing and we did a little of this and a little bit of that. And, and Satan doesn't have a problem. He says, just keep them occupied. Just entertain them. They're harmless. Absolutely harmless. And Jesus said, I've come actually to call you into proclaiming and taking territory. He's a commander in chief of an army. And he said, you know, when I lead you, I do not fight as you do with, flesh, with, with swords and guns. We do not battle against flesh and blood, as Paul found out very expensively, because he tried that. Paul tried fighting with arms and oppression and power. And God, as I've often said, knocked him off his horse into the dust of Damascus and said, let's do it my way now. Doesn't come naturally to us the ways of God. And that's why every day God has to arm wrestle us into submission and say, listen, do it my way or don't do it. That's what he did with Peter all along. Peter was continually saying, no, 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 but, 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 what about, what about, what about. And Jesus was always saying, Pete, for Pete's sake, shut up. For Pete's sake, stop. Where do you think that phrase comes from? I don't know where it comes from, but it sounds like it. So the real world is a spiritual world. It's what you can't see. I remember years ago at St. Albans using an analogy of bringing a... You know, we don't, do you know what a transistor radio is? A ghetto blaster? <laughs> Sorry? Grant knows what a transistor radio is. Okay, thank you. you. Just keep that to yourself though. And... Uh, And, you know, you you put it in here and it'll pick up all the noises that are going on around. There's lots of reality floating around here that we don't pick up because we don't have the receivers. Well, Jesus came into the world and said the reality is not what you think and see and feel. The reality is a spiritual reality and it's a battleground between God and the spirit of God and the spirit of rebellion. And the way the spirit of rebellion is manifest is in you and me. And some of us, if I say to you that the Jesus ministry course is about dealing with that, some of us will duck and dive out of it and say, I don't want to go there. Well, if you don't go there, you end up just being a prisoner. You're there whether you like it or not. We're there whether we like it or not. It's not an option. We're in this place of overlap between the prison, which is, uh, as I've said, Egypt under slavery, and the promised land under Jesus. That's where we live. So there's much more to this life than meets the eye. Most of our issues are not physical, they're psychological, they're emotional, they're all that stuff, aren't they, really? At the end of the day, who makes me me is attitude, and attitude is made by that stuff inside me that either makes me feel good or bad. What do you think that's all rooted in? Some of us under the illusion it's all under our control. It's the power of positive thinking. Tell yourself 15 times I'm worthwhile, a good human being. Post it on your win- your mirror and see how long... The, you know, it'll get you so far for a little while. But it doesn't really cut it at a deep level. And Jesus' weapons, therefore, were the gifts of spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about these two realms. The realm that was under Satan, which was the rebellion, the capture of all human beings in rebellion to God. And Jesus was saying... You think that you are all there is or you think there is no hope. And what was Jesus doing? Why did he say to people, follow me? He said, I stand here in this prison camp as the Son of God, the Commander-in-Chief and nothing the enemy has is powerful enough to destroy me. The enemy didn't believe him and killed him. And the enemy thought, we've done that and then he rose from the dead and the enemy went oh shoot I threw everything I had at him which isn't much and now he's risen and the risen Jesus appeared to his disciples and said know this I am your command in chief I have power that you have never seen and I give it to you I said don't go out into the world unless you have that power because it will kill you you know how Satan attacks us he says well it's just like the fruit You know, he didn't say that I mean, my theology wouldn't allow for any emotion. So don't touch that power. Just believe in Jesus and limp along. And one day, when you're dead, it'll all be right. The biggest deception the church has swallowed. And so what happens? We're powerless. We hold each other's hands when we're sick. We don't know how to help people get off drugs or alcoholism. We send them cards and say we're praying for them. We're pathetic. Because we're defeated before we've even got onto the battleground. When I went to basic training in the army, believe me, they didn't sit there and say, Johnny, what would you like? How would you like your haircut? They marched you day and night until you learned how to fight. We think we're playing games. We think this is all a matter of just, it depends what you believe. If you've ever fought in an army or you've ever seen violence, this isn't any game. Jesus wasn't playing a game. This isn't a game. This is the power of God. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It's not about a threat. It's not about berating each other. It's about saying, do we realize what we're in? But also, do we realize what it would be like to walk through Galilee with Jesus and know that in him was a power that nothing else could touch? And I would go, yeah, I'm his friend. And the enemy comes and they... All they do is look at us and they ask one question. Do they know who they are? Or can we deceive them? If the enemy can say, you're a prisoner, God's got no power, forget it. You're dead. If you know the power of Jesus in you and you say, I belong to Jesus, this prison camp is a distortion of the reality that God has won for me. And I'm going to live in this prison camp as a free agent under God and he is my commander in chief and to hell with you Satan and all they serve you. Now bugger off. Get vicious. And you'll see things happen. Because the only weapon that evil has is bluff. And one of our biggest crises in ourselves is self-esteem and our identity and authority and confidence as Christians. We're too scared to go out and talk about Jesus. I mean, imagine the Canadian army comes back from Afghanistan and they get to the airport and they all jump into their civilian clothes because they're too scared to be... uh, Anybody know that they're part of the army? What kind of morale would there be? So how do we stand on the promises of God and assert our inheritance so we can take back ground? You see, the wonderful thing about those who are Christian is that you can walk back into your life and you can walk, back into, you can walk into other circumstances and you walk in the room and the, and the evil, you won't see it, you might sense it from time, basically has to retreat. And all you do is you walk in and say, Jesus, what do you want to do here? I'm serving you, what do you want to do? Well, I want that person to be set free, okay? And you learn how to Operate as a soldier of the King of Kings. That's what the Jesus ministry is all about. Do you want to see lives changed? Do you want to see your family changed? Well, humble yourself. Stop edifying your brain because you haven't worked it all out and start going, Jesus, teach me some more of this. Because quite honestly, I look at my life and it's pretty pathetic when it comes to serving you. I'm pretty half-hearted. I'm actually pretty more, I'm, I'm more in love with the stuff around me than I am with you and I want to not ramp it up a notch. Well, it starts in the training camp with the relationship with Jesus, not guilt. Guilt is a waste of time. It starts with a recognition of my need for more, a desire for passion. Is this exciting here? Yeah, right. What is, so, what are banquets? What has this got to do with food? A whole lot. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Banquets are the defiant proclamation to the enemy that he is defeated and we have no fear. Jesus loved eating with people. He often was at meals. He loved eating with friends and strangers and in the Middle East at that time it was much more easy to get in to share a meal or or, or, or whatever. But you remember... The first uh, one of the first uh, banquets he went to was a wedding banquet, and the wine ran out. Wine ran ran out, and he basically said, "Well, bring me the you know big things of water, and he changed it into wine." And they said it was the best wine that ever tasted. What does that mean? It really also means that Jesus loves a party and he's generous and he's kind and and he you know he's not madly religious. Well, what happens if they get drunk? Well, then they'll get drunk, I guess. Get some more wine. It means that the banquets we have on this earth are going to run out of stuff and we're going to have to keep coming back to Jesus for more. But he's always going to say yes. You remember the woman who knelt at his feet and and poured perfume over his feet and wept? And the guy who was the host of the banquet, Simon, said, Who is this? And was very uppity about it all. And Jesus just said, Simon, you didn't even actually wash my feet. You didn't show me much hospitality. You're so worried about what other people think. This woman has just abandoned herself to welcome me because if you've been forgiven a lot, you do that kind of stuff. The depth to which we know we are forgiven will be the depth to which we will forgive others. So what's the greatest banquet of all? What's the greatest banquet of all? The greatest banquet of all is the Last Supper. This side of the Lamb's Feast. It's the breaking of bread. Do you know what the greatest victory of Satan is? To have the churches theologize about the breaking of bread, so we only do it once a year, we would only do it once a month. Jesus said, whenever you gather together in my name, do this in memory of me. It's not a theological proposition, the breaking of bread. It's a defiant gesture against the spirits of darkness that says we know who wins, we know who our resources are, and we know our identity. And there's nothing more irritating to a bully if you disregard them. There's nothing more irritating to evil if you sit down and have a meal and say, what do you want? Ah, oh, it's just you. Okay, pass me the salt, please. What does it say? We read it today. We read it in the psalm that has been absolutely used in the wrong place. When you die, read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack Nothing. While I'm living, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters while I'm living. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake while I'm living. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me while I'm living. Your rod right and your staff, they comfort me while I'm living. Then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Pay attention. Really, really, really. This is huge, huge, huge. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I believe what God's saying to us is, I want you to be a church that has banquets all the time in the presence of your enemies. I want your focus to be on banqueting, not on the enemy. I want your focus to be on, you know, I was talking to some people this week and saying, what would it be like for us as a church to, to put a half-page ad in the newspaper saying, we've rented out the West Wind or the Clam Bucket and the first hundred people we're going to give you a meal free. No catch, just because God loves you. And we do that every three months and cost us $3,000 and we say, you know, that's just what we do. See, that, I think, is evangelism. Have a party and invite everybody and offer them beer and wine if they want. God will do- deal with the other stuff. The first bridge is, I love you unconditionally. And if the only place you can tolerate being near me is being drunk right now, then be drunk. That's not condoning drunk, all right? It's loving somebody where they are. I'm being very serious. I'm being very, very, very serious. Because Jesus met people there. And the greatest banquet we will ever be invited to on this side of death is the table of the Lord. Because at that banquet, he stripped himself and he knelt and he served his disciples. You see, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Your banquet is to have a big feast, and that will be so. But until it is so, my banquet is bread and wine so that anyone can come and anyone can participate. But my banquet is also about serving each other. My banquet is also about loving each other. If you want to defeat the enemy, gather around my table, kneel at each other's feet and serve, and love one another unconditionally, and darkness will flee, and my kingdom will be present. When we read about The banquet. I'm nearly finished. When we read about the banquet, you know, we could give this whole sermon about you know, he invited people and they didn't come. But there is a reality, and that is, you know, God says it's now. I would imagine there are quite a few of us here who have been sitting with our arms folded for years. Listening, observing, reacting, judging, criticizing, rationalizing. I'll come when I'm ready. I'll come when my business is ready. I'll come when I'm retired. I'll come when the kids have left home. I'll come when I have time. What happens if you're not here tomorrow? A guy, who I don't know if any of you read this, called the Ragamuffin Gospel, by a guy called uh, Brendan Manning. He was a Catholic priest and and an alcoholic. And I just loved what he said. He said this, he said, Most of us postpone a decision hoping that Jesus will get, he's talking about coming to the banquet, Most of us postpone a decision hoping that Jesus will get weary of waiting and the inner voice of truth will get laryngitis. Thus the summons of the crisis parables remain suspended in a state of anxiety, so long as we opt opt neither for nor against the new dimension of living open to us, which means we don't opt to come or respond. Our indecision creates more problems than it solves. Indecision means we stop growing for an indeterminate length of time. We get stuck. With the paralysis of analysis, the human spirit begins to shrivel. The conscious awareness of our resistance to grace and the refusal to allow God's love to make us who we really are brings a sense of oppression. Our lives become fragmented, inconsistent, lacking in harmony and out of sync. The worm turns. The felt security of staying in a familiar place vanishes. We are caught between a rock and a hard place. How do we resolve this conundrum? We don't. We cannot will ourselves to accept grace. There are no magic words, preset formulas, or esoteric rites of passage. Only Jesus Christ sets us free from indecision. The scripture offers no other basis for conversion than the personal magnetism of the master. He basically says, Come, follow me, now. That's it. One morning, mysteriously moved by grace, a young man decides to pray, try prayer. For five minutes, he agrees to show up and shut up. And Jesus whispers, now is the time. The unreal world of glass-nosed and Gucci loafers, hagendass ice cream and Calvin Klein, Calvin Klein jeans, beaver vests, Persian rugs, silk underwear and the Super Bowl is passing away. Now is the time to stop running. To stop running around frantically like Lancelot's horse in four directions at once and quietly remember that only one thing is necessary. Now is the time for personal decision and creative response to my word. Let me tell you a little story. One year, a rich fool had a bonanza crop and he made provision for an even bigger one the following year and he said to himself, you're a good old boy, you've worked hard, deserve everything that's coming to you and have a nest egg for the future. Take it easy, eat heartily, drink up a storm and have a good time. That night my father shattered his security. Fool, this very night the demand will be made for your soul, and this hoard of yours, who's going to enjoy it now? In prayer, Jesus slows us down, teaches us to count how few days we have, and gifts us with wisdom. He reveals to us that we are so caught up with what is urgent that we have overlooked what is essential. He ends our indecision and liberates us from the oppression of false deadlines and myopic vision. Jesus really quite simply says, come today and receive from me and be with me. So we're going to come and share at this banqueting table the Lord's Supper. My prayer is that we'll see it in a different way from now on. It's not a quaint festival we do occasionally. It's a defiant raising of the flag In this church, in this valley, but also in your life. Where are you struggling? Where are you disheartened? Because that's where Jesus is knocking, that's what Jesus is calling you to. He's not calling you to religion. He's calling to you the love of the Father. He said, You know, I'm really tired of hanging around your front lawn. On your front room. I want to go further with you. I'm after all of you, not the bits and pieces. I'm after taking control of your life, not having you tell me what to do. I'm the king. The banquet was my idea. You were my idea. And when I made you I'm so jealous and so vain that I made you with a little chip in you that won't work until you connect with me, and that little chip is the Jesus chip. I'm just making this up right now, actually, but sounds good. And that Jesus chip is what's going to give your life the power and the authenticity that you crave. But your pride won't let you admit it. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to share in this breaking of bread. And I I pray that as you come, you will say, Lord, where do you want to raise the flag in me? And after you've received the bread and the wine... You are going to listen to what I say right now, please. You're going to come around here and help yourself to anything you want on this table. And there are going to be two people uh, to, to encourage you to do that. Now, you can do two things. Some of you go, oh, you know, you do this false humility, tut tat tat thing that's really quite cute. Which says, I don't have any need. My, my, you know, my bones are full. they might people more worthy than I. Well, I speak in the name of the Lord and say, shut up. You're arrogant and proud and self-righteous and you lay it at the cross. This is about receiving a gift from the Lord for you and you take it home. Oh, well, I don't know what I need. Doesn't matter. He changes water into wine. What you do is you take what you would like. Hope oh, that somebody else might want that. If you're there and you like it, you take it. Listen to me, I'm serious, serious. This is a hugely important spiritual truth. We are pathetic. We don't know how to receive. We're so proud. This is good news. And you go, well, I might take the wrong thing. There is no wrong thing. (laughs) Alright? What else? What happens if somebody else wants it? Well, if you're there and you want that big bowl of flowers, you take it because the Lord says, yeah, you are, it's for you. Oh, but, no buts, take it please. You will bless me if you take it. But what about so I have something else for them. us, leave the control to me. Relax. Be a child. Receive. Whatever you want, you can have. Except the candlesticks and the plates. Marianne said that. But as far as I'm concerned, if you like them, take them. We'll sort it out later. And Marianne won't mind at all. Helgi will, but he's not here, right? Teach him. So... <laughs> So, now, understand this. The church has paid for this. So it's yours. You see, Jesus paid. We've paid for it. It's now a free gift. So, you need to do two things. One is you've got to take something home that you're going to hold over the next day or two and say, Jesus, what is it that you wanted me to take off that banqueting table that is symbolized by this fruit? Because whatever you take off is a symbol of something, alright? The other thing is for you to... If you know people, if you go, oh there's so much stuff here and I know somebody who would really like this, take it. But you're not allowed to take something for somebody else if you don't take something for yourself. Because you can't give away what you haven't received. And the Lord and the whole Jesus ministry thing is big time about, please let me give you more of myself. Because on your agenda, you're a weak, straggled, ineffective army right now. And I really would like to be the commanding in, commander-in-chief, please. And there are not many commanders-in-chief who just say, I want you to love you to bits and out of that will come the life that you crave. Alright? So, you're going to come up for communion? And you're going to raise a flag and say, Jesus, I'm fed up with this part. I want to be more victorious or whatever. If you need prayer for healing, after you've been to the banqueting table, you go to the back and he'll give you the cherry on the top, which will be some healing. And believe me, the Lord's serious about that. He's going to release healing in this body. He has already. It's not not going to be through me, because grief, who am I? It's going to be through you, people being prayed for, people praying over each other. So if you want it, the only thing that doesn't happen at the banqueting table is there are no servants who would bring it to your chair. You're invited to come in, sit at the table and help yourself. You've got to do something, brothers and sisters. So, let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you that the whole picture of who you are, the whole reality of who you are is, is a feast, a banquet is provision, is resources, is life itself. And that you're generous. We ask you to forgive us where we have... Oh, we have been pathetic. I mean, we wouldn't even credit you with a hot dog stand. And the people who don't know you think we run a second-hand thrift store with a bit of popcorn, maybe, if they're lucky. And you're the one who laid down your life and said bread and wine will turn into the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we pray, Father, from this day forward that banquets would be our hallmark. Generosity, love, life, laughter, dance. And in the midst of that, the Lord Jesus. Lord says, how I long, how I long, how I long for you to come and to take this seriously and to know my love and my power and my truth for you. How I long that you would come so they could gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And I long for you to do that today. Receive my spirit, receive my love, receive my power, receive my presence and rejoice for the kingdom of God is here. Do not be afraid for nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I set before you today death or life. So, Lord, wherever we are right now, will you lead us deeper to yourself? Embrace us like you did the prodigal son, even if we've been embraced 500 times before, and reawaken in us the depth of love that is your gift to us in Jesus. That you have a purpose for our lives, you have power for our lives, and you will be company for our lives for the rest of our lives on earth and beyond. So we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.